Hi, welcome to Titanium Talk. My name's Jason Neen and I've got Brenton House with me. Hi, Brenton. Hey, Jason. How are you? Good, thanks. Very uh, a bit cold here. It snowed last night. Uh, well, I say snowed. I mean, there's like a, a dusting. It looks like someone's dusted the garden with icing sugar or something. Uh, but apparently tonight is going to be the uh, the big one. There could be a lot of snow. We had last year in March, I think, which was a huge amount of snow for us. So, yeah, should be interesting to see England shut down in the next couple of days, if that happens. Yeah, I think it's going to get bitter cold. I think we're going to have 75 degrees this weekend. So, um, yeah, I've had to pull out the shorts again. <laughs> I, I'm still in my shorts. Rough life. I still wear my shorts. I'm always wearing shorts. But I, I, had, I had this heated jacket. I bought one of these um, Flex Warm 8K, they're called, um, not the price. Uh, uh, they're like a heated, they're like a sort of puffy jacket and they've got um, these heating elements in them and they have a little battery pack and usually that's been working, but mine's failed today. So I've got to try and get that fixed, but uh, that usually keeps me warm, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I saw that in your Twitter post. I showed it to my wife. She liked that. And yeah, I think you had yeah. socks too or something. I uh, know I got, um, I bought, there were about 30 pounds on uh, Amazon. There were some insoles to go in your trainers that sort of okay. probably, probably raise you up about half an inch on the back of your heel. But they're, they're battery powered. So basically you plug them in, you charge them up. They take about four or five hours. For some reason, it's quite slow. And then you just slip them into your shoes. You go out and there's a little remote control. It looks like a key fob for an alarm. And you press like H, M and L or off. And all of a sudden, <laughs> and, and, it, and it, I swear, I mean, these things last hours and it feel, they are so warm, you have to turn it off after a while because it's actually uncomfortable. It's like you're standing on a radiator or something. It's on a hot radiator with bare feet or something like that. And so I mean, I'm at the football with my kids and these people are complaining about the heat and I'm at the cold and I'm sort of like, oh my God, I've got to turn my shoes off. They're too hot. That is really cool. Right. We have, uh, we've got quite a few things to talk about. It's all really around the same subject, but uh, why, don't you, um, why don't you kick us off with Titanium 8? So we have the Titanium 8.0.0 RC release, and there is a lot of stuff in there. So uh, you'll be able, we'll put in the show notes, uh, the release notes for this, but there's all kinds of stuff, and, and we can just kind of start diving into it. Now, when, it, when, is it, when is that out? So at the time of the recording, it's not out, but I think it's going to be out um, either today or tomorrow. So anytime soon, it's coming really soon. So probably by the time this episode is released, it'll probably be out already. That should be cool. Hopefully people will jump on that. And there's quite a, there's quite a lot in terms of new features, but also potential breaking changes, aren't there? Yeah, there is a couple of things to be aware of. Uh, but um, I think that's why we... We made a major release because there, because of the few breaking changes, uh, but the new features, um, that it's pretty awesome. There's a lot of stuff they packed into this. So um, I can start diving in. Just we can go down. We're not going to have time, obviously, to go through the whole list. You'll be able to go to the release notes and kind of see everything that's been released. But we can kind of highlight some of the the big things. Um, one of them is Live View is now going to be included with the SDK. That's nice. Uh, so that. Before that was um, something that you had installed with Studio, um, so a lot. To, and and I think they made it also a separate um, standalone install as well. But now it's um, going to be included with the SDK, so you, you, one less thing to do when you're installing. And um, the integration, I think, by putting it in with the SDK, I think that it's going to make it a, a smoother um, experience. So looking forward to 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I'm running it. I've been using the CLI for ages now, so I've been using it. I think I had some weird um, issue. Remember when we had the uh, when it was Accelerator Studio or Titanium Studio? Um, there was a situation where I I can't remember what caused it, but I think it was at some point I had Live View working in my command line in my terminal. Well, it shows you how old I am in terms of Windows um, in my terminal for Titanium, but but it wasn't supposed to work unless it was part of an accelerator CLI. So, you know, there was that point when, I mean, now it works everywhere, but there was that point where basically you had to have Accelerator Studio to, to use LiveView. But due to some legacy setup I had, I was able to use the open source Titanium CLI with LiveView just by doing the dash dash LiveView and it worked. Um, so I was just using it all the time. I, I mean, I had an Accelerator account anyway, because I had it through the, the work that I do for them. Um, but it was just a weird situation. But it, yeah, I mean, it's nice... My situation now is that I'm I'm either getting live view updates directly from the uh, repo because I've got access to it, the private repo, so I just sort of sync from master, or I have to launch Studio, uh, which you know isn't my favourite thing to do. <laughs> if, maybe if I want to make <laughs> maybe if I want to make a coffee and a sandwich and then come back once Studio's uh, booted up and then I can update live view that way. So this will be awesome to just get it as part of the SDK. Yeah, I think this will be really good. And two more improvements as they go along integration. Um, I, I think that we'll be able to see a lot. Um, some new coming features, I believe, that are coming for live view will be easier to do now that it's integrated with the SDK as well. Yeah, that's nice. The next thing we've got there is you've got, is it tabbed group or is it tabbed bar? Is cross-platform? Th- that's a good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just looking, I think. Yeah, I think uh, it's yeah. Tab- Tabbed bar, yeah. Ti, uh, yeah, yeah. There's an entry saying that tiue.ios tabbed bar is being changed to tiue.tabbed bar, which is adding support yep. for Android. That is very cool. That is so. That's going to give us a lot, uh, a lot more, a lot more cross-platform, uh, less co- less coding saying if Android, if iOS. Um, Exactly. We've, I mean, I've worked on apps and I've got uh, colleagues that have worked on apps where we've created a widget or whatever for, you know, we've sort of fudged it for Android because it is a nice tool. It is a nice uh, UE element. Uh, but to have that native, yeah, it's very nice. Very cool. It is. So uh, another thing we have is a navigation window is now cross-platform as well. That is also very nice. Yes, it is. Um, so uh, one last thing that um, you might, a lot of people, for a lot of these that we're now making cross-platform. A lot of people have written things. Uh, I mean, everything in Titanium is native, but um, a lot of people have had to write their own um, things to simulate one mm. platform and another. When you Sometimes when you have companies you work for or clients that want a look of one platform on another platform and you kind of have to integrate that. So this will be nice to be able to have use some of the native controls out of the box. Yeah, that's very. I mean, I'm just while you're talking, I'm just scanning through the um, scanning through the API changes and the new APIs. It's an astonishing amount of stuff in there. Um, there's just a load of stuff. But yeah, the um, I'm working on an app at the moment, which is um, a, a sort of location based app. That's I've done the iOS part already. I'm just finishing iOS, and then I'm going to do the Android bit, and that's using navigation window. So this this might be very good timing for me to try it out with that because. I'm not looking forward to you know doing my own wrapper and doing all the stuff that has to go along with that to make it work. And you know, like we've said before, the more the more the SDK can do to give us this stuff in the XML, so that we've just got these you know XML entries we're just dropping in and we don't have to think about it or worry about it, the better. Um, 
I'll be interested to see how it works. I'm guessing it's obviously just the navigation sort of stack management. I guess it would, I mean, it would be really nice if the, um, you know, if you specified the left top left nav button and top right nav button, if they would get implemented. But obviously that could be a lot more work and might not be compatible with the way Android's action bar works. Uh, but certainly just having the ability to not have to create a new tag to redefine it like it's been done before or have separate XML um, views altogether or conditional XML is, yeah, really, really cool. And just reduces reduces code, reduces errors, you know, makes it more effortless in terms of being able to put stuff together quickly. Yeah, and, and we'll probably um, push out a couple of blog posts or things examples of yeah. using some of these new things. So you if you have apps that have things separate and you want to be able to um, use some of these new controls that we'll just give you a couple of good examples of how to do that, get you going. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, the next one, which is a biggie for me as well, is Swift to build iOS modules, to build native modules. That is very, very, very cool. <laughs> that is uh, very nice. Yeah, I mean, this, you know, I, I think I've said this before loads of times with, I tried to get into Objective-C years ago, hated it, you know, just hated the look of it, hated the syntax of it. Swift is much more akin to sort of JavaScript in terms of the way it's structured. And I much prefer the look and feel of Swift. And I want to do more Swift. But I guess it's that thing of, you know, you need some sort you need something to get you need some meat to get behind. You need something to do, whether it's a private project or a you know, something to do for a client or whatever, which is, you know, you've got time to learn on the job if you like. So what I really need is something to, you know, get me into why I'd want to do something with Swift rather than just sort of follow a tutorial and not really have, you know, an end result. So I guess that would be something like, you know, CocoaPod that does some sort of UE element or some sort of interface with something that there isn't any support for at the moment. That would be an awesome excuse to sort of write a demo and try out a Swift native module. Yeah, and also be able to use a lot more of the um, Swift examples and codes and controls that if you need to bring that native um, in, you you won't have to. A lot of people when they do it, they do it in Swift now, and you're like, oh, I need Objective C in order to be able to use it, and you won't have to worry about that anymore. Exactly, and I guess as well, it will be. Um, well, maybe it was like this with Objective C, but I guess it would be quite easy to use something like Playgrounds or you know tools like that to sort of write some sample code to get it working and test it instantly, and then you know then do the wrapping into the module that needs to be done. So. Yeah, I mean that's going to be. I've seen some sort of stuff in the notes about how to create, you know, you can create a a, um, a default module to start playing with. So yeah, I mean that's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun, I think, to sort of jump into. I think the, one of the first things I'll probably do with it is just play around with a few CocoaPods. You know, just find something out there like a spinner or activity or you know the Google um, Material Design or anything like that, and just th- and just sort of try and implement that. And it's and like you say, I've I've messed around with stuff with Hyperloop. And Hyperloop's awesome, but it's just that you've got to go through that translation layer of Swift to Hyperloop code, Swift to JavaScript, effectively. And it's not difficult, uh, but it can be, but it's sort of trial and error. You know, you're looking up the Swift notes on the UE material uh, material design uh, CocoaPod by Google, and you're sort of working out how to sort of transpile that, or whatever you want to call it, into the relevant JavaScript. And so you could be a bit of back and forth with that, whereas at least this will be able to just take that Swift code, put it in, put the wrapper classes around and hopefully be able to, you know, interface with it, which yeah, should be really cool. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, I have now a lot of things on my to-do list to try out. So looking forward to seeing what the community creates too. Yeah. And the next one is definitely a good one. <laughs> uh, I seem to remember 
years ago, one of the first implementations of Tab Group allowed the buttons at the bottom, didn't it? I think it was in one of the early versions of Android, and then I think it was removed because um, the action bar came along. You're going way back. Yeah, oh, it was a long, long, long time ago. Yeah, um, but this is basically the Tab Group now allowing bottom navigation for Android, which natively, which is going to be really cool because that that takes away so much code and so much potential problems that you can get with apps. You know, even, you know, I've done widgets, I've done tab group widgets, and I've done a tab group replacement alloy tag that puts the tabs at the bottom and tries to emulate it as much as possible. But it is a hack, you know, it's it's work, it's work, a workaround, there's a lot of code. It's not behaving exactly as it would on, you know, a native device uh, or the native UE. Uh, it's slower on older devices because it's shifting views and shifting all these things around. I'm having to manage the stack of windows, do animations, you know, the amount of code that it's going to be reduced, you know, just dropping a tab group into an XML uh, file, creating some windows and just running it and it works. <laughs> that's going to be, yeah, that's going to be really, really cool. Yeah. I'm really glad that they got this in there. I've, I've been using your, your implementation to do anytime I want to do the bottom tabs on Android. And, and I think uh, there's still more features that they're working on coming out too. And that some of that's you, like you mentioned the nav stack for Android as well. So I think I think that's going to be coming up in one of the future releases too, where they do Navstack. So may but even if you use your implementation implementation of Tab Group, if if you change that to use the native, um, all you'd have to do then is just um, manage your own Navstack for Android, but you'd still be able to take advantage of all the native controls on the bottom. So this yeah. this is really cool. Yeah, and the nice thing is if you have been using my alloy redefine, then really all you've got to do is take the module definition off and it should work, hopefully. Well, you know, other than the stack management. But yeah, basically, because I've all I did was redefine the same tag, it should just uh should just use the native component and you might have to specify some additional properties or TSS styles for things. But yeah, that should be that's gonna be a nice one to test because it's that thing with at the moment with with you know, Android's I find iOS just so nice to deal with. Um, development-wise, just because the simulator's fast, uh, you know, everything is, there's a lot of things that's tuned for iOS, obviously, with tab groups and navigation uh, windows. And so when you're building an app, there can be a tendency sometimes to almost shy away from using some of those components because you worry about the fact you've got to make them work on Android. And so you'll find people that are, you know, using slide menus, using hamburger menus, using different types of navigation that they can easily recreate on both because, they just don't want the hassle later on or perceived hassle of having to deal with it on Android. Uh, so it's going to be nice to be able to do stuff that, yeah, might need some tweaks when you run it on Android, but the majority of your XML and, and code is going to stay the same, which is going to be really nice. Yes, it will. And a lot of these features that we're seeing in the SDK are things that have come requests from the community. Um, so it's, it's really nice seeing the um, team be able to get that input from the community and be able to then crank these out into features. So keep the the comments, suggestions, and everything else coming through Slack and other channels because the the teams are listening to you. And I'm obvious with this release, they're able to pack in a lot of those requests. Uh, there's another little entry here that talks about Node.js polyfills. What do you want to tell us about those? So this is, um, I think, the first of the. Uh, well, I, I I can't say it's the first of the Node.js polyfills, but um, so um, when you're doing uh, a lot of people that do Titanium uh, also do Node.js as well because of, of the similarity. Um, a lot of the libraries that you might use, like Underscore or Lodash or something, are used in both Titanium and 
and in um, Node.js. So when you go in to bring in a library, if that library um, makes a reference to something that they call globals in Node.js, like OS and, and path, you can do a require OS um, and a require path, and it's not a separate module that's downloaded. It's just part of Node.js. Well, now um, if you do a require, if you use a library that has a require OS or require path, it will just work in Titanium as well. So there's there's several other um, globals that I think they're starting to implement. Obviously, you can use console already, uh, and I think there's there may be one or two others that are already implemented. But then there's like FS, which um, uh, I I think they're already working on too. So uh, a lot of node modules that you might want to use in Titanium have a dependency on um, require FS um, for the file system, and so they're working on. Uh, polyfills for that as well so what it would do then it was use titanium file system but then you'd be able to use an npm module and it would just work so once we get more of these polyfills um, implemented you will be able to use a lot more um, node.js and modules from npm so next we've got updates for live view a couple of smaller updates to do with selective compilation for alloy so one of the problems not problems one of the challenges with alloy has been because it's a pre-compilation tool that when you make live view changes, it it has to reload and pre-compile. It, it sort of pre-compiles a load of, of code. It doesn't do everything because it's already generated the resources folder, but it sort of regenerates um, quite a few files, even though you've, you might have only changed one. So this is now means that if you change something in Alloy.js or change something in a particular controller, Alloy will only regenerate that file, which is going to mean that live view builds are going to be much faster to reload, which is quite nice. And I, I think they're doing more than the transpiling to kind of give uh, more support for the ES6, ES7, yeah. et cetera, because that has to be done on the code after the change, although the code needs to be transpiled so that make sure it'll be compatible. So they're taking care of all that, and we're getting faster and faster uh, performance with LiveView. We're working um, to, to bring a lot of new features to, to LiveView to be able to get us faster and faster support. Yeah, that's nice. I mean, are you doing much ES6, ES7? I pretty much do um, everything in ES6. I mean, if there's a ES6 function for it, I do that. Um, I helped work out a lot of the the issues early on with ES6 because I would bring over a lot of my code because I I may also be doing Node.js and I do it there as well. I haven't done a lot of the ES7, uh, like the await stuff yet, uh, right. but I I know when you go to pull in code, a lot of times it's in that format. So it's nice that I think what they use Babel now, which is great because it will make sure you're up to date with all the latest specs. It'll just transpile everything to, to a format that titanium can use. Yeah, that's nice. I need to do so. I need to play around with some, I've, I've done a little bit, but I, but not enough. And obviously there's that, it's that whole transitional element of, you know, com- modules and things that I've written, you know, do I go and get them? Do I translate them to ES6, ES7? And obviously, you know, break what's gone before or uh which i guess is what would happen you know if i if i rewrote like resty as es es6 or 7 and people weren't using the right sdk then it wouldn't work is that right yeah i think there's been a lot of basic es6 support in there for a year or more maybe more, maybe a year and a half but sometimes um there was be issues with live view right when you're using it because it wasn't catching transpiling every because they're trying to make it fast and only um transpile what was necessary sometimes it would be missing something but i think 
you should have um, a lot of support going backwards because I think the ES6 started, um, like I said, I can check the date later, but I, I think it was like a year or more ago. I guess that, that was my only concern with fully sort of committing to ES6 and ES7. But if there was, but I guess, you know, if there's been support for a while, then I would say, you know, for most of the latest SDKs that people are uh, probably using, then it will be fine. But yeah, I think I probably need to delve more into it. I think, I think the thing that put me off was just like looking at some of the code that I saw. There were certain bits of code and like the way functions can be written that I just thought was more confusing to read. You know, I can look at a, a bit of ES5 code for defining a function and I know what sort of what's going on almost instantly. With ES6, I'm just sort of trying to work it out. But I guess the more I do, then the easier it will be to just glance over stuff. And and I guess you can mix and match. You know, you, could you put ES5 and ES6 code in the same controller or the same file? Oh, yeah. And yeah. and in the end, it's not really going to give you a, any kind of performance no. Um, enhanced, because we're transpiling down to ES5, I believe, anyways. Now, I'll have to check on that because I think some of the some of the OSs, I don't know if it's iOS, um, and I, I'm not sure on the Android, start supporting more and more of um, of the, the ES6, I believe. So, right. But I think we're transpiling it anyways right now yeah, to be safe because yeah. um, to cover more OS support. But yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of it's just preference and... If, and if you're using code snippets or if you're using something else from another or a module from like if you're importing a module that it was written in ES6, you don't have to worry about um, like converting it yourself before you put it in titanium. Yeah, and there's a couple of miscellaneous items we've got. Uh, TI Blob now has parity across the platforms, which is nice. So there'll be a sort of consistent interface to interact with that. And another nice feature is console time log. So I guess this is something I have used a few times to look at performance and trying to work out where an issue is in an app. So you can now do a console.timelog, which will log the duration taken so far for an operation. So that's quite cool. That is nice. Just seeing if that's noted. I was wondering how that's going to work. So what do you do? Do you do like a start and stop or do you, do you wrap it in a function? How, how will that work? Do you know? Um, if I remember seeing it and, and it's something that's it's supported in Node.js and in JavaScript. Okay. I'm not sure which version of JavaScript as well. So Part of it's probably just um, uh, paired. However, it's implemented there. Uh, um, if if I'm looking um, like on, there's a time end um, in JavaScript. Right. So I'll look at I'll look at that and see um, how we're um, how we're implementing it, and to see and we'll give examples too of being able to show uh, how it's how you'll be able to show your the time that you, the time elapsed. And the next thing is that we've got deprecation of APIs and removal of APIs. So I, I don't, there's no point going through the whole list, especially of the deprecated, because there's quite a few. Uh, but in the release notes, it will let you know, you know, what's changed. So there's the obvious ones, like we've mentioned with the tabbed bar and um, anything that's gone cross-platform, like navigation window, where it will be moved out of that iOS namespace into the UE namespace. Um, the more important list to check is the removed APIs because that's the stuff. I'm just scrolling back down to my list. Um, there's only a few entries in there. Uh, mostly look like properties being renamed. So things like uh, ti.ue.keyboard underscore number underscore pad becomes keyboard underscore type underscore number underscore pad. Um, so that's pretty standard changes. The titanium, the, the Yahoo module that used to be in there almost from the very start has been removed. So you've got to use the standalone module instead. 
uh, and there's a property called titanium.contacts.authorization-restricted. Uh, that's now being removed because iOS 9 and later doesn't support that anymore. So it uh, looks like about 12, 12 changes there. Nothing dramatic. Uh, but as a developer, it's it's going to be important to go through that deprecated list. Definitely, because, you know, with the deprecated stuff, even though things have changed, they may still work. They may still be addressable, but you know, they will eventually be removed. And so your code eventually will break. So it's always good to go through that list and just make sure. Um, the, the, the CLI is usually pretty good now. You know, I've noticed a few times where you're you're calling stuff and it will tell you this has been deprecated, you know, and it will be removed in version X or whatever. So it's 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 quite a nice thing to, when you're looking at the console and building your apps to actually read some of those messages that come up because there's a few critical ones in there that are are popping up now to do with, future versions i think version 9 where things are going to get removed like global variables and things so uh, it's always good to keep an eye on stuff like that those warnings that come up yeah if, and if too if you're going through if you're just taking an existing app and you're trying out an 8 and you're going to change some of these deprecated ones make sure it's that you're you're playing on going on 8 and staying on 8 too because if you're then playing and going oh well, i'm going to just roll back to 7.5 at then you have to go through and change some of these things again. So, uh, all the change change the deprecated ones, uh, but make sure you're like testing out an eight and make sure that you're good. Uh, because yeah, like I said, then you, going back and forth between seven and eight will be a little bit more difficult. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the solution pretty much most of the time with any of this stuff is is not to suddenly try and go back to an older version because that's the one that worked and you can't, you know, you haven't got the time to go through this stuff now because eventually it will bite you um, pretty badly. <laughs> um, I'm dealing with a customer, a client in the States that um, I inherited an app from uh, to support and it's for a client of theirs and it's for a law firm and it's pretty much been totally custom written in terms of its UE for Android and iOS. So there's you know, there's a fake tab group. There's a, there's a, they got the, they've got everything. They've got a tab group. They've got slide menus. They've got the whole thing. Um, but it's all been done manually. You know, the whole thing's been written manually. Uh, there's a lot of code across a lot of files. It's alloy, but it is a mess. And basically, we are, we are in, a, in a process of working with it where it's like trying to fix the leaks in a ship as you're sailing towards a destination. You know, and as you're, as you're sailing, there are more leaks and more things happening. And at some point, you've got to turn around or you've got to, you know, dock somewhere and you've got to either rebuild it or properly repair it. You know, you can't just keep patching it as you go along. And that's that's the state we're in at the moment. And I've I've got to the point now where I've, I'm warning the client that, you know, we've got so much stuff that's going to break. Um, just going from, just going to 7.5. I, I, can't, I don't even think we got to 7.5. I think we went to 7.41 before it started, you know, failing with 7.5. And they don't have, or they're not pushing their client enough to invest in time uh, to, to fix it. So it's the classic technical debt problem. You know, you're, do, you're patching, you're patching, you're hacking, you're doing workarounds to get past every single SDK. But at the, at the end of the day, to try and do that little tiny feature request they want done is going is gonna to stop the whole app working because it will have to be submitted with eight at some point because of, you know, future restrictions and future things that will happen in terms of ios and that means it's going to fail and so it will need completely rebuilding so it's 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 easy it's easy to say to keep up with sdks um we've talked about it before you know accelerator being criticized for almost doing too many sdk updates which is i think a good thing 
Um, and it's easy for me to say, oh, you know, make sure you download the RCs, make sure you test them. At the end of the day, you know, if you're doing this for a client, you need to get paid for it. It needs to be built into some sort of maintenance package. If this is your app, you need to have the budget and investment to be able to do this sort of stuff and keep up. But ultimately, it's the classic technical debt situation. If you just keep pushing it back and pushing it back, you know, that's why we see people in Slack and, you know, people posting messages saying, I'm trying to update an app for 7.5 that was written in 5 and I'm hitting loads of problems. And it's like, yeah, you're going to hit a lot, a lot of problems because <laughs> 5 is, what, so, quite a few years ago um, and there's been huge changes since then. So as best you can, you know, once this RC comes out, Start building your apps with it and see what's breaking, see what's failing, see how much work's involved and, and almost get a head start on it. Yeah, clients don't always want to pay for technical debt, um, but it, it's not it's not X-Way alone that, I mean, a lot of these are based on changes that Apple's making to iOS or Google's making to Android, to their APIs, but you're going to have that with any framework, anywhere, Uh if, if you just let it go and, and it's not just in like freelancers or like enterprises I've seen a lot where um, they understand features and they understand slating and the importance and priority for those. But yeah, if you have technical debt, such as updating SDKs and doing things like that, you're like, oh, okay, we'll just push that off. And you don't realize the, the world of hurt that you're kind of doing by letting those pile up. And you're right in terms of client's perception is, you know, and a lot of this is driven from the top down, it's like um, it's like Apple saying, right, from this date forward, you have to submit with the 12 SDK. To t- submit with the 12 SDK and to use Xcode 10, you have to uh, you have to use this version of Titanium for that to work. So there's like this knock-on effect of everything, which means suddenly your app has got to be built with you know 7.5 or 8 or whatever it is, and it's got to be built so that it works with Xcode 10, so it compiles to the iOS 12 SDK. There's all these things that suddenly combine and a client, and to you, that's like a huge deal because you've got to go through updating your software. You've got to go through testing. You might have to fix a load of stuff. The client, though, well, all they really wanted was that sort of weird button, you know, that was in the wrong place to move five pixels to the right because it was slightly off. And that was the only update they needed doing to submit to the App Store. And for them, they don't understand why. Why is it? Why are you quoting me like five days work? To do a, to move a button five pixels, they just don't understand that because of the because we didn't because it was because this fix wasn't done ages ago before these restrictions were put in place. Everything now has to build be built with this new SDK, and that has this knock on effect. And that's that's a difficult thing sometimes because it's very easy for clients to come back and say, "Well, hold on a minute. So you built all this with this system? Is you know have you used the wrong system? Do you know what I mean? You suddenly all of a sudden you're you're almost you know potentially being accused of of building it incorrectly, and that's that's not the, the case. So it's it's like it's just trying to it's trying to give clients a heads up and i've i've blogged i i wrote a post about this before where it's a good opportunity to look at maintenance agreements with clients you know if you're a small business if you're a freelancer if you're doing stuff like i do for clients i mean i've started building it in now so all my quotes when i quote someone for a for a project i quote them for the project and then i add on i i you know there's an optional but i tell them there's this additional cost which is based on a percentage of the project cost per year to keep that maintained. And for that, I will keep it updated with SDK updates. I'll make it work with the latest iOS. It's like an insurance policy, you know? As far as, uh, you know, as a developer goes, I'd like it really easy. I want to be able to do three years of maintenance and all I have to do is a few tweaks. But there could be that one SDK update that happens that takes me much longer. And I've got to, I've got to absorb that as part of that maintenance agreement because that's what I've said. But what's going to help me 
is if I do that on a regular basis. If you know, going from five to to seven point five would be a nightmare, I reckon. But going from five to five point five, from five point five to six to six to six point five, you know, that's going to be a much more smaller, granular process, and you're going to have far fewer issues to deal with if you if you keep on top of it like that. Uh, and with certain customers, what I've done is when I know that you know these new updates are coming out, and I know there's potential future work there, and they've they've got no agreement with me, I've just tested it, just done a quick build, see what's happened. Has it worked? Has it crashed? Has it failed? Saying all this stuff's changed, just to just to get an idea. And with some of them, it can actually be a huge underestimation. You can you can think that it's going to take a week's work, but actually when you build it, it's only like five APIs that need updating, and then it works. So it's it's worth looking at that side of of your business if that's the sort of thing you do to see whether you can um, build that sort of thing in yeah and if you do them at the same time like if you when say ado like is coming out now if you can start going through all your apps um, especially any ones that you you really think that you're going to touch again at some point then you're already you kind of know what kind of changes you're looking for and you can do the same kind of thing to each of your apps as opposed to if you're a year from now or a year and a half from now, you're take, trying to upgrade one and you're, <laughs> you're going to have to go through and, oh, yeah, what? Oh, yeah, I had to look for those deprecated uh, uh, function calls. And, oh, there was something else. And going yeah, through release exactly. notes to try and figure out what you have to change. Whereas, yeah, just kind of go back. I'll have some apps that I'm like, I, I don't have to change. But a lot of times I use that as a test for an SDK because I know it's not critical if if I open it up and I go to change it and it takes me a little while that's fine because no one's waiting on it but it's a good test for an SDK so I try and use that to keep those up to date as well because you never know when you're gonna if Apple makes a change and say oh exactly uh, you have to do this Google does that too they'll say oh I think with this uh, the change I think was in the last year that they said hey you had to use this um, this version of SDK if you want to publish to the app store and so everybody they do changes like that as well and so you got you have to keep up because otherwise you're going to spend a lot of time like you said for just changing color to blue or something you're going to end up spending days yeah i mean we had it with this uh, it's a good good um ironically my own fault for being um too helpful uh, so this this law app that we were updating um I did the iOS, we got the iOS version updated, that all worked fine. And I noticed when I was doing that, there was a bug. There was a, a bug in their like weird tab group that they created where it wasn't highlighting something properly. So I fixed it. Now, the actual requirement was only really to do the iOS version because it was using the new SDKs and everything. And, and you know, you had to submit with this new version or whatever. So we took care of it and it was done. But because I'd done this one tweak, which I wasn't really asked to do, I just did it. Obviously, that made the iOS version different from the Android Android version. So they wanted an Android version update. And that was where the problem was because the app wouldn't start up properly with, with 7.5 at all or 7.4, whatever it was on. It just wouldn't launch. There was some error somewhere. And all of a sudden, I'm having to set, tell them that there's, there could be, I think it ended up being about 14 hours work to try and debug it and go through it because it was so horrendous trying to work out what was going on with their code. Uh, that Yeah, it took about 14 hours. And, and really, uh, you know, I'd hate to think what the client thought or the client of the client thought because you know all they all they were doing was fixing this icon cut you know icon change and it was like two days work <laughs> but it was purely because you know we'd missed uh, we'd missed that what happened was we'd done the iOS version I think it was a certificate update was the story so that there was a requirement to update the iOS version because the certificate was expiring or something so that was why that was done but with the Android version 
um, and uh, Google had implemented this new API. I think it's uh, 26 minimum, the SDK uh, to build with. And that's that's what needed updating. So basically by doing that, we had to go with the latest Titanium SDK. And then that basically broke the app because the app code was just horrific. So it was nothing to do with Titanium. It wasn't its fault. It was purely that the app code, there was something going on in there that just wasn't working properly with the latest APIs. And so had to be tweaked. But yeah, it was a very, very painful process. But I've, I've given them a warning now that Basically, when we get to eight, it's potentially a rewrite. And the crazy thing is, like all these things, the app isn't actually that complicated, but it's just been bolted on and bolted on and bolted onto over the years. And so it's become so convoluted. And I think if you rewrote it, you could rewrite it quicker, faster, with far less code. Um, and it would be a, a much slicker looking app. So that's hopefully what they're going to do at some point. So I'm, I'm curious, um, talking about bolting on versus rewrite, how often do you, with your apps make that decision to rewrite. Um, if it's your own app, uh, you can make the decision on your own. And for a client, sometimes you don't have that option. But uh, in your experience, how often do you rewrite versus um, just not, not when you get to that point? Not often because... And not not often because they're, you know, what I do is amazing and it's, it's future-proofed. That's not the case. Uh, but most of the time, I've started from scratch. So... I haven't had to inherit, you know, an existing app that that ends up getting me into a mess where I just want to rewrite the whole thing. So I haven't had to rewrite any of my existing ones. There, there's one particular app which is actually still in development. Um, it's like a photo management type app. It's not really photo. It is photos, but it's not like the photos app. It's not like a sort of photo gallery type thing. It's a bit. It's a bit more involved than that. But that's been written primarily for iOS. There was never an intention to do an Android version, and at some point, they think they may want an Android version. Now, the iOS app isn't technically finished yet. There's still some testing going on because it uses printers and all kinds of things. Uh, but that is the sort of app that's got to a point where, because it's been in development for so long, like on and off, it's been on development for a couple of years. Uh, I feel like if it gets to the point where they say they want an Android version, that that would be an opportunity to rewrite, not the whole thing, but but quite you know huge sections of it. Because I think... Android will not cope as well with some of the image manipulation stuff that's in there. And so we'd have to look at, you know, rewriting some of that. So that's probably the first example of an app that I've worked on that was written from scratch where we may end up rewriting it. But when you think about it, the app's actually about two or three years old. It just hasn't been released. It's been tested by loads of people. Um, So it is almost like the life cycle of an app anyway. Um, But yeah, that's the only one that, that springs to mind. Uh, I get lots of people. I mean, I, I had I had someone recently that you know I had the classic call. It wasn't Titanium, but someone did that classic call where they say, "Yeah, we need someone to take over an existing app. It's been written in Objective C and Java." So I was like, "Well, I can't really help." I told them in the end, I can't really help. Um, but they said, "Yeah, it's been done offshore, and they've the developers not responding and not helpful." And and I had to do the thing I normally do, which say, "Well, you know, to be honest, and this is me just saying this. I think most developers that you go to will want to rewrite it from scratch because." A, it's been written offshore, and uh, you know I don't want to be too negative, but nine times out of ten, the code I've seen is written by um, almost like these factories where they just you know stick a whole load of people in a factory and don't don't teach them very well, and charge ridiculously low day rates, and you know things take long and don't work properly uh, because there just isn't the skill set that's been taught to them. Um, uh, it's like a money making machine almost, uh, and and the quality of the code that comes back can be so difficult to deal with that it's much easier for a lot of developers to rewrite stuff people prefer working with stuff they've produced you know most of the time so it's 
I, I wouldn't rewrite an app for the sake of it. I wouldn't say, oh, you know, it needs a complete rewrite. You know, if I can build it and it works great, the most important thing is being able to understand it. Uh, to be able to fix things you don't want to you don't want to be you don't want to have a, a situation where the clients ask you to move a, a button on a screen or hide a button on a screen and it's taking you like an hour to find out where that how you know where that screen is because you're having to go through all this convoluted window management system that's been written and other you know loads of widgets and sub widgets and all this sort of crazy stuff just to find out how this button was done that that's the frustrating part yeah i've, I've had some apps that i've inherited um built by someone else and at a point I've told people like the amount of time it's taking to add every single feature and to get it stable um, you really need to look at investing in just rewriting because yeah like you said if you get especially when it has to do with like convoluted navigation systems and something else that you just you get constantly get errors when you go to add something because the way it's all kind of been hacked together and um, rebuilding is great. Um, I don't rebuild like my own stuff en- enough, but when I do, I always learn. I'm like, I'll try not to look at the old code as much as possible. And I just like, okay, if I was just doing this over, what would I do? And then, yeah, I'm going to reuse modules and code from the old app, but I'll find like, Oh, Hey, there's a new way of doing this. I could have done it this way. And I'm, I usually always learn something if I'm able to take an app and rewrite it. Uh, and same with mod- uh, libraries too. Like uh, sometimes I'll pull out an old library that I'm, I know I used years ago, and I know I'm going to have to make changes to it. I'm like, well, what if we did it differently? And I, I like being able to learn new things from doing it new, but you don't always have that opportunity, especially given the time and budget for most projects. But yeah, I think I. I can't remember where I worked, but I worked with someone or there was a philosophy of that someone had, which was um, to leave leave code in a better state than you found it. So, you know, you might only have to work on a small feature of a particular app. And this might be an app that you haven't written, but you just sort of brought in on the team to do something. But while you're adding that feature or doing something, you've noticed that there's some other, you know, other functions or other uh, classes or other parts of the app that within the vicinity of what you're doing that's a bit convoluted or it's a bit complicated or there's a bit too much code and so i think the the concept was as long as you don't change the fundamental functionality you know a function takes an input has an output what goes on inside that function could be made shorter and tighter and simpler without affecting the input and the output process and so it doesn't need massive retesting of the app because it's you, you've changed nothing about the the outcome but you've sort of refactored that function to be much cleaner and nicer and i think that's that's almost like a cool, a cool sort of philosophy to have. You know, don't. I wouldn't be afraid of necessarily tweaking something. You know, the classic one for me is when I go into, and it's funny saying this because it's all over these notes, is that whenever I see titanium.ue anywhere, I shorten it to ti.ue. You know, if I see t- 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 titanium being referenced in code, I always change it to ti because I just find it. It's less less characters, less. You remove yeah. those. <laughs> you remove those like nine or ten characters across your whole app, and you've. You just reduce the code base. <laughs> you might not reduce the um, the app size, but you at least re- reduce the code code base a little bit and made everything a little bit cleaner. Um, so that's that's a simple one that I might do, or I might, um, and I'll, I'll even do this on my own app. You know, if I'm, you know, what it's like. You're sort of coding, you're writing stuff, you're getting things working. Sometimes you don't go back and look at something and refactor it yourself. So it's quite nice sometimes to go back in and go, hold on a minute, I've got two, f- I've got a function there that's doing one thing, I've got a function that's doing another. They're both doing very similar things. 
but one's sort of adding and subtract, the other subtracting or whatever, you know, simplifying it, but you know what I mean. So why don't I have a, a function that does both? And then, you know, there's, there's le- I'm, I'm doing less duplicate code to get the same functionality. Then I like, I like doing stuff like that. And I, it's quite nice going through your own app sometimes and going, oh, wait a minute, I can just, you know, I can remove that controller completely by adapting this one to do a similar thing and have a couple of conditions in there. And I've basically, you know, chopped out 50 lines of code. I like doing stuff like that. That's, that's good fun. Yeah. And there's also like, and that could be a whole episode, but on formatting too, uh, it's tough. Uh, like if oh, you're taking God. a code base that <laughs> someone else wrote, what I really like, um, I mean, as you know, I've been using Visual Studio Code for years now, but it it's, I've also started probably, I don't know, um, maybe a year and a half ago, maybe two, um, started using ESLint, which is a linting program to format. And uh, it is really, really nice if the project I'm um, inheriting already has a, a linting file. Now, it may not be the formatting that I'm used to and that I would prefer, but I can easily just hit a keyboard shortcut and format the document or the whole project using whatever style they want and I don't have to worry about it then. And it's, it's really nice when you have multiple developers and you're committing code because then you don't have all the white space diffs and everything because one developer uses tabs and the other one uses spaces, even though we know tabs is the correct way. But I know, I know what you mean. There's a project I'm working on at the moment, um, which is uh, someone's helping me with and yeah, they're putting the uh, curly brackets on a new line. So, you know, you do a function, do your uh, open and close brackets, and then the curly bracket goes on the next line, whereas I have it on the same line. Um, I can't even remember which one's the sort of air quotes correct way to do it, but it, it's very jarring to see it differently. And the problem is, is that yes. if I make a quick change and then do my muscle memory of hitting the keyboard command to pretty the file then I suddenly go back to Git and look at the differences and it's the whole file's changed. <laughs> so there's there's all this all this red and green, you know, like, oh my God. So then I have to sort of do an undo of the format, save it, go back to Git, see the differences. And then what I'll normally do is, I mean, if I, I wouldn't do this if I'm working with another developer where it's clashing, but if it was, if I'd inherited the code or something, then I would do the commit of the change so that it's clear, you can see in the commit what I've changed. And then I'd go and do a format and then commit the format change because, yeah, it's you're suddenly going back going, oh, my God, there's so much that's changed. And you realize it's all formatting, but it's muscle memory. You just sort of hit that thing. So, yeah, it'd be, it'd be, be nice to do that sometimes to go through. And so you can have per project, can't you? You can put per project. Yes. Um, with, with the ESLN file, so you just put this. Um, I use YAML, but there's a JSON or YAML file or whatever that goes into the root of the project. Yeah, and ESLint plugin automatically finds it. It's nice. Axway has come out with their own ESLint file that they've started putting in all their projects now. Um, Okay. So like you, you could just start a project and just inherit from that one. And anything that's different, say you didn't like something about it, you could just override it in yours. But um, Airbnb has their own base file. So out on the web, you you can find these base files that are maybe most similar to the one that you your style, and then just override. The, the changes and so that that's really nice. if I if I'm getting a project or I'm joining a project that doesn't have one the first thing I'll usually ask is are you opposed if we can just use ESLint put it in there do one big commit right now with white space and then 
go from there where we start making them before we make any code changes or like you said, or after, uh, it, it makes it a lot easier to, to have consistency across the team, but I need to look into that on this project. Cause that would be quite useful. Cause it's, and I need to look at it for future projects as well. Cause when I'm working with other people, it's easy to, to sort of forget about that sort of stuff. You sort of, I usually go down the route of saying, oh, you know, I tend to use Resty and I tend to use these libraries and I tend to use this and this is the base structure of my app and this is how I put my screens in a screens folder and stuff like that. I sort of deal with the top level stuff, but I don't really deal with the code formatting. Even the classic thing, which is another contentious one, is uh, single or double quotes. Now, I I came from a I came from a um, basic background originally. I sort of programmed basic on Amiga computers years in the 80s and then I went through visual basic and all that stuff. So I've always come with a double quote you know i've always used double quotes and even when i used other you know dot net and other languages um i've never i never really got into javascript until about when i started with titanium really i did some web stuff but it was about 20 2009 2010 something like that um so i've always used double quotes because you could you know i did but it's it's interesting when you come across especially when you work with other people and you know you see something they've written a module or whatever and all of a sudden it's all single quotes and you're doing additional code in there and suddenly thinking, oh, crap, I'm doing double quotes. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's another one of those tab spaces type things. But it's nice that ESL, um, I use double quotes for the longest time, um, like like you back in the 80s and doing, I mean, yeah. that was just habit in .NET as well. And then um, I actually started using single quotes uh, for uh, a lot of stuff. A lot of times it was because when I used a double quote, I wanted it to be, um, not have to escape it Yeah, all the time. And so, but it's nice with ESLint. Uh, I, I do some projects that have double and some that have single and it just, when you, you click that format, it, it will convert all your, um, single quotes to double quotes or whatever the project preference oh, is. Oh, that's nice. Um, it'll convert all the spaces to tabs or tabs to spaces. Uh, it uh, takes care of your quotes, takes wow. care of your braces, which line. Um, you set all the, I mean, there's so many preferences. I mean, it just goes on and on. You can get to the, the details, is <laughs> really detailed. But um, so it's nice it, uh, if you're doing a project to go through and um, start defining as much as possible because it makes it a lot easier. Like I'll have it even. There's some things in ESLint has some things that are called fixable that when it can change automatically for you, like tabs and spaces. Yeah. Then there's some things that it will just warn you or error um, depending right. on how you define it that it it can't fix. Like if you're um, you say I prefer um, destructuring and the ES6 ES7 thing as opposed to doing something else. Well, it can't change it for you, but it can give you an error. So when you go to build if you're running your lint every time you build, then it can error out saying, hey, I found this. It didn't match um, the style that you said you preferred and you need to change it. Or it can just warn you, say, hey, uh, I'm going to keep doing the build, but uh, hey, just so you know that the style doesn't match up. Yeah, that's nice. I, I need to do. I need to get into that. I need to do some more of that. I've played around with existing files that have been defined, but I think I need to uh, have a proper play with that, uh, especially with some of the projects that I'm working on. I need to compare the the Axway one that they they've been using to like my personal one that I've taken from project yeah. to project and kind of built up. So it's kind of yeah, it, I think it's really similar. I just I'm curious what the differences are. I'll have to do a diff on it. 
Yeah, I'd be interested to look at that as well because um, it'd be interesting to see if I've... Because what I, I mean, I tend to, I think I've got, I can't remember what I've got, Prettier or, and I've got some JS Lint stuff installed. And I just hit, I just hit that key combination every time I make some changes, muscle memory, key combination, it formats it. So I'm hoping it's fairly standard, but I, I have noticed a few times um, people's files when they've given me and I've done the, done the, uh, done the muscle memory key command and not, not a huge amount's changed, but a few spacing things have happened. So the files got slightly to the left because tabs have changed the spaces or the brackets around um, at the end of, fun- you know, that define the functions have moved or either added or removed a space. You know, there's just been that little visual, quick visual shift. Not, not, not masses amount of stuff have changed, but just, you just sort of notice that little flicker in the file as things change. You know, it'd just be interesting to see if there's a consensus there with some of these base rules that you can get of how close I am to that at the moment, because, uh, I'll, I'd happily switch to something consistent if it means you know there's there's less chance of of messing up other people's stuff. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Speaking of all that, I've I've, I've been working on trying to create some base template starting point. So I know we have like if you create a new titanium or alloy project, you get your basic project there. Uh, but I, as you know, you probably anytime you create a new project, there's things that you're almost always going to do like you may put resty in there and you may have some others and so you have these base projects that if you want to spin up a new project so i'm trying to create some of these um that we could use with titanium and say hey i want to create it and i want this and then maybe people can fork it off and you're like i um i'm i like having resty in there but i also want to have this in there and and then just make it easy to build start new projects so i'm going to try and um I'll, I'll probably do a blog post or something about it here real soon and just kind of, because I know there's all, there's all kinds of starting points that people have in it. So barely exactly what you're going to get out of the box. Yeah, exactly. Um, the bare bones. So uh, I'd be curious to hear from the community too, what, what kind of things you typically put in, in a project if you're doing a new project, because um, it, it might give ideas of things I haven't thought of. Well, I've got a script. I need to probably share that actually. I mean, it was, it was a bit, a bit hacked together. It was a little, um, Python script that I wrote, um, so just a little terminal script that I created a sort of alias for, and I basically, uh, so the process is, is I say I want to I want to create a new app, so I say I type into terminal create create app space and I call it a name, and obviously I could make this more complicated by allowing a separate ID and all that sort of stuff. So, but that's all I do, and then this script will create a new uh, Titanium app within my normal workspace folder. It will uh, immediately turn that into an Alloy app. It will immediately uh, copy a load of symlinks fi- uh, of files. So my RESTY libraries and some of the other libraries that I have, they're in their own repos, you know, locally in my code. Uh, and I have symlinks generated for all the files that just sit in those folders ready to go. And so this script will then copy those symlinks from their location to the lib folder location because I don't want to... The only reason I do that is I don't want to have to install RESTY for an NPM. And then if I make any tweaks to RESTY for that project that are needed in resty generally i don't want to have to sync that back you know so i use symlinks so that any changes i make will update the resty repo so obviously when i commit the code to give it to a client or whatever i have to actually change those files which is probably something i should add um, so it will do all that it will copy over any so it'll copy over relevant files does any other configs that are needed uh, it will call the app id com dot uh, bouncing fish dot as a temporary name dot and then the name that i gave it um, and then it creates a Git repo. 
Uh, so it initiates a, a Git repo. It adds a load of elements to the ignore file, uh, which is standard stuff to do with, you know, um, things like the build folder, uh, the resources folder, the dist folder, all kinds of the standard stuff that I might have. So it basically sets it all up and then it launches um, Xcode, uh, sorry, Xcode, launches uh, Visual Studio Code in that folder and does a build with LiveView straight to the simulator. <laughs> so oh, sort of, wow. That's so pretty doing, cool. So, so it's doing quite a lot. So basically, you, you say create app, you know, test app, and the next next minute, Visual Studio Code's opened and the app's running the, the default Hello World Alloy template, and you're sort of ready to go, basically. What I'd like to do is is make that a bit more interactive, you know. So do you want these libraries? You know, do you want Resty? Are you going to use Resty? Yes or no? Uh, so it won't just copy all my stuff across because sometimes I don't need it all. Uh, what would also be nice is if there was a mode where I could say I need it to copy over the actual files, um, either at the beginning or at the end, because I need to now give this to a client or check it into their repo or whatever. Um, and what else? It would be nice if... What was the other thing I was thinking of? I was literally thinking of it just then. Um, oh, yeah, it would be nice also. So it would be good if I could make it because there's some stuff I want to do with Resty where I want to create some config templates uh, as examples for people. And I'm going to do that as part of a blog post I'm going to be doing on it as a sort of featured module, which as I know is a bit self-serving and a bit um, egotistical, but you know, it's for the Accelerator blog and we wanted to do some featured modules. And one of the things I was going to do is is create some different configs. So I, I, I use sometimes PARS, I use Sashido sometimes for projects and I have a standard config that works with that and has all the event handling. It deals with users and installations and push notifications and forgetting passwords and all those things. So they're pretty standard functions with with Sushido. And so for those sort of core classes, I've got this standard config and it will be nice to say, you know, okay, do you need Resty? Yes, I do. Are you working with Sushido? Yes, I am. And it will copy across that config into the alloy.js or whatever. You know what I mean? So I've got an app that's basically almost ready to go. I've just got to add some additional things to. So that would be quite nice. Um, that is uh, nice. Um, I, I may want to collaborate with you because I started doing something in Node.js, um, just a command line tool to do si- something similar, but also having like uh, like a project config and a user config. So yeah. say I have defaults for like my organization or um, copyrights and that kind of stuff, I may put that in the user config, and, but I may want to override that in the project config, oh, I want to use Rusty, but I want to use yeah, um, Sushido or whatever. Yeah, and, and also you could have, you know, just thinking out loud now, it's almost like I'd like to extend that to be able to either through command line flags, terminal flags, or through an interactive process when you run the command is is for it to say, you know, does your project need models and collections? Um, yes. Do you want to use Rusty? Yes. But also, do you need GPS? Yeah. Do you need push notifications? Yes. Do you want um, contact integration do you know what i mean so you sort of get some basic questions that you can answer and then the relevant libraries can be copied in so the relevant you know folders the relevant files can be added to the lib folder the relevant um permissions can be all set up in terms of what needs to be added added to the ti app xml file or modules and things like that references and it's almost like you're ready to go so you know if i need to create a new app like find friends or whatever um it's gonna. I'm gonna say, yeah, I want contacts. Yes, I want GPS. Yes, I want push notifications. And all of a sudden, when my app launches, I've got those libraries in there. There's sample code in there. One of the things I thought um, I came across, which loads of people will know, in Visual Studio Code, is the shortcuts thing. You know, when you have the snippets uh, and and the Titanium uh, toolbar, the Titanium extension, actually extends some of those. So 
and it's really nice. Um, if you've used it before, you'll know what I'm talking about. But yes. in Visual Studio Code, I think I used it the other day. I was trying to do something with the camera uh, for an app that I'm doing. And I was, you know, it's the typical thing. I, I still look up, you know, still look up old code I've written. Even four next loops I'll look up um, because I just don't retain that that knowledge. Never sticks in my head. I always have to look oh, up how to I'm do the it. the same way. Yeah. Um, it's like that classic admission thing on Twitter. You know, I've been a developer for so and so years and I still look up how to do this. Um, but I noticed these shortcuts were in there. So I just, t- you just type in TI camera if you've got the uh, extension installed and it comes up as the auto, you know, auto complete with TI camera. And as soon as you hit it, bang, it just drops a load of code in. And pretty much what it dropped in, I'm not sure if it did the titanium dot or TI dot, but I think I had to tweak a couple of bits, just literally rename a couple of things, and it just worked. <laughs> it was it was awesome. And I, lo- and I wrote something for Atom. I wrote one of my first extensions for Atom. And I, this was just me playing. I needed an excuse. I wrote a, a similar sort of thing where you could type something and then hit a key combination. And the idea is it went off to this repo and would pull out the code from the repo. So, the, so each, each thing would have its own JS file on the repo. And so you could contribute other things like galleries and things like that. And so all you had to type was like, you know, TI gallery or TI whatever and hit the key combination. It would grab the last thing you typed, go off to the repo, grab that file and then paste the content in. And that's that's really nice. I love stuff like that. So that could be another thing that I could look at, you know, do configs, do shortcuts for for things like Resty. So I want to do, um, you know, Resty underscore Sashido, Resty underscore AppC. And then when I hit it, it will give me a config file that's a base config file I can use. That that would be cool as well. You know, I like stuff like that. Yeah. Anything anything to yeah. make your life easier. You know, I I still Absolutely. I've been developing apps for years, and I still haven't got I still haven't got round to doing what I should be doing, which I've started doing now, which is creating these reusable modules. You know, I know I've done Resty and things like that, but even when I'm doing an app. I'm now really conscious that um, you know the app, and there's an app I'm doing at the moment that's a GPS-based app. So I took an old GPS module that I wrote and I've enhanced it and improved it and everything. I've still made it generic. It's not specific to this app because the intention is to be able to just drop that into another project and have it handle everything, you know, not have to go through any permissions or anything like that in the actual app itself. I can literally just call one method, which is like, you know, initialize or start GPS and it will take care of getting permissions. It will take care of doing all the things that need to happen and it will then call my my event handler to pass through any, you know, information that needs uh, passing back to the main app. But it's, you know, stop, start, get current location, just simple, simple methods. And I want to do the same thing for other stuff so that I've got that, you know, that that those simple modules that I can just drop into any project and I don't suddenly have to reinvent the wheel again uh, or go back to something else and, and copy and paste code from certain files. It will just all be nicely self-contained. Yeah, that that's really nice. And too, to be able to uh, share those across uh, community too. But yeah, I, I have stockpiles of yeah code snippets and everything else I'll go back to and try and, yeah. uh, and, and to be able to use. But I mean, I know we'll probably end up having to do like a whole episode about VS code at some point. Yeah. Uh, but there's like a VS code plugin to be able to sync uh, all my snippets and uh, plugins and everything. Um, it uses uh, uh, GitHub, I think, or something to sync it up. But then every time I go to build a new machine or um, if I have multiple machines, it keeps, keeps all my snippets in sync. So that's, nice. that's really nice. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that's yes, the stuff we should be doing, but the trouble is you get stuck into you get stuck into this rut of getting apps built and, and doing stuff, especially where clients want to own all the code and you know they don't necessarily want to use any predefined libraries or anything like that. And it's just very easy to sort of 
make your life a bit more difficult. So I, uh, I've, I've, you know, that that create app thing that I wrote, that script I wrote took years, you know, took literally years because one day, even though I was doing it every single time, I just thought I've had enough of this. I need to make this easier. I'm going through the same process in the same first hour of starting a project of doing all this Git repo and copying and pasting the ignore file and doing all this nonsense. Or or I would discover it after doing my first commit and realize it's committed the resources folder. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, I didn't copy that, you know, into the exclude file or whatever. So yeah, it finally got got to the point where it annoyed me so much I did something about it, but I need to be a bit more proactive like that, I think. And, and obviously if I do stuff like that, I'll definitely be sharing it. Awesome. Cool. So we've got some, uh, there'll be some links in the show notes to do with the uh, release notes for Titanium 8, uh, CLI release notes, Alloy release notes, and Hyperloop updates. So be sure to check those out. And if you've got nothing else, I think we can probably leave it there and uh, save everything else for the next episode. Call it a day. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Brenton. Have a good day. Thanks, Jason.